Section 8 of Anecdotes of Big Cats and Other Beasts This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona. Anecdotes of Big Cats and Other Beasts by David Alec Wilson. Section 8 Where Tigers Flourish. Part 5 The Charge of the Tigress. Coming to 1909, there is an episode in his Shikar book about a tigress, which for various reasons may be transcribed. 14th April. I started up to inspect the Bonweben fire line, accompanied by my wife, an Indian, and two Burmans. After we had gone about five miles up the path, we heard bamboos being broken. The Burmans said there must be a herd of wild elephants feeding on flower bamboos. I thought they might possibly be bison or rhinoceros, so walked on to see what they really were. The Indian was walking ahead of me, and I was following, looking down the side of the hill from which the sound of the bamboos being broken came, when Barhan, the Indian peon, stopped and said, Bag! Tiger! I looked up and saw the tiger crossing the path about sixty paces ahead of me, so had a quick shot at it on which it turned round and came down the hill straight at me. My wife, who was just behind me, on seeing it come down the hill, called out, It is coming. It came on, and when less than thirty paces from me, I fired the second barrel and knocked it over. After receiving the shot, it fell and lay on the ground, trying to drag itself towards us. It put its head up and snarled and showed its teeth. The Burmans, who were very excited, kept on saying, Give it another shot quick, or it will get up and do for us. So after a bit I put in another cartridge and walked up a few paces and gave it a bullet in the chest and finished it off. After giving it a shot in the chest, I walked round and got above it, and then approached cautiously with my gun at the ready to give it another shot if necessary. But after throwing a clot or two of earth at it and finding that it did not move, I walked up and pulled its tail. And when I found that it was dead, I called out to my wife, who was close by all the time, and she came up. We found it to be a tigress, measuring eight feet and five inches as she lay. The first shot had missed, and the second caught her at the point of the shoulder. On looking at my gun, I found that the two hundred yards leaf sight had got pushed up, and that made me shoot high. I was carrying the gun in my right hand, but holding it across my back and in pulling it forward in a hurry, the leaf side had got pushed up, and I did not notice it in the excitement of the moment. Mongnita, one of the Burmans who was with me, said, Sir, if you had not finished her with the second shot, we would all have been lying kicking on the ground. As three men were not able to lift her, my wife rode back to our camp and called other eight men, and they slung her on poles and carried her into camp. On dissecting the tigress, I found that she had nothing in her stomach and appeared to have had no food for some time. She was evidently out shikaring, hunting, and was after the animals that I heard breaking bamboos. In a private letter to me at the time, Mr. Allen wrote, Had I missed the second shot, she would have had us. She was very angry. She was hungry and meant business. On opening her, we found that she had evidently not had a meal for some days. This illustrates a truth which is often forgotten by us. 
The big beasts live from hand to mouth, like improvident working men. A dog may bury a bone, a tiger return to a kill, and a leopard has been known to put half a corpse or an unfinished bit of venison up a tree for security. But beyond the next meal they never look. It is only the insects of the universe, like ants and bees or such animals as squirrels, that practice thrift. Hence arose the Jewish proverb about considering the ways of the ant in order to be wise. There is no such lesson to be learned from the cat. One can be sorry for the tigress all the same. Think of her empty stomach, and perhaps hungry cubs in her lair, and then this big, strong Englishman, with his diabolical machinery in his hand, molesting her as she was stalking the wild cattle. She meant business, said he. Of course she did. Did anyone think she was hunting for amusement? No matter now. Her body lies inert enough, a subject for their inquisitive knives, to her, indifferent. Put yourself in the skin of that tigress if you can. Think what a gunshot means to a wild beast, and consider how, when fired at, she faced the music, in the real sense of that phrase, and went straight at the guns, as gallantly as the light brigade at Balaclava. As even the enemy notes, after receiving a shot, it fell and lay on the ground, trying to drag itself towards us. It put its head up and snarled and showed its teeth. Was she not like the glorious Englishman, who, when his legs were cut away, still fought upon his stumps? Did any hero of Homer's ever surpass that sorely stricken tigress? Could any living creature have done more? And yet there are men to be found who call the big cats cowards. I never heard Mr. Allen do that, nor any other man of sense who knew them well at first hand. No wonder tigers flourished in the days of old. It is the invention of gunpowder, and then of breech-loaders, that has handicapped them hopelessly. The long guerrilla war between them and us has lasted for scores of millenniums, but the end is now in sight. Let us not libel the brave that are doomed to disappear. Let us not rail at the conquered. If they were fierce and strong, they were not cruel. As nature made them, so they filled their function. They came and chased and conquered, impelled by hunger, and now that their hour has come, they are going away. The day is at hand when the big wild cats shall all be as completely extinct as the vanished giants that wallowed in the primeval slime. End of section 8. Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona.